Hey guys, my name is Emmeline. For those of you that don't know me, uh, this week we will be in Acts 9, 1 to 31. If you have the black Bibles that are on the sides under the communion tables, it's pages 1100 to 1101. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. If I show him how much he must suffer, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him away to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. God bless the reading of this word. I know some of these scripture passages are extremely long right now because of, well, really one thing. We wanted to cover the book of Acts this decade. 
So um, we're reading a lot larger chunks of passages than we might normally would read. And so part of for today is I want us to just kind of whet our appetite for this chapter nine. And my prayer and desire would be is that maybe you would go home this week and continue to do some reading of this passage on your own, because there's only a few things that I'm going to be able to share with you. Um, and so I, I also wanted to say a couple of things while I know that I'm being recorded for the podcast, um, because I know there are a lot of people that aren't here, but will be listening this week. I do want to continue to tell you thank you for your prayers for my family. I do ask that not only that you would keep um, Ginger's dad in your prayers as he's fighting um, to to live each day through this brain cancer, but if you continue to pray for my wife, it's, it's difficult to be the, the daughter of a good man that is uh, struggling so, and, and it's, it's obvious that his days are coming to a close, and and so um, I pray for stre- I pray for strength for her. Um, but Ginger's birthday was on se- on Friday, and so trying to celebrate a birthday in the midst of all the struggles and tensions, you kind of get robbed of a birthday. Um, but I would never publicly tell you how old my wife is um, because that would be wrong for me. But we are the same age seven months out of the year, and I'm now 45. So, um, <clears throat> but uh, I didn't tell you how old she was. But I also have good news for you as a church family. Um, many of you um, might not know some of our quiet workers behind the scenes, but many of you do. But Josie and Linda, who Linda usually is working the door welcoming you, and Josie usually is working the computer on his scheduled rotation. They had a little girl at 7.07 a.m. this morning. Um, and so it is a month early, but mom and the baby are both doing well. And so, yes, that's worth most of you that know them, you're like, these are two of the most sweet, sensitive, compassionate people on the planet. And uh, it's really good to rejoice um, with good things for those. But uh, pray for Linda. Yeah, obviously, we need her to recover. The baby is early, but the baby is well. And we want God to continue to strengthen and keep this little one um, strong. And so, we, um, so now, Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> A couple of things that I think are really important for us as we get into this passage. Because there are a lot of things about Acts 9 that we already know. Like we, if you've been to church for a long time, you've heard the story of Saul's conversion from Saul to Paul. And you've heard about the Damascus Road experience. And people that have gone to church have taken things out of this passage on many occasions and made them like in the churchism things. Like, oh, I hope my friend has a Damascus Road experience. Or we say things at, out of this passage um, with almost like a hope that it could be true, but it almost becomes a story that is in the Bible, but it's like it doesn't have any personal impact on me. And we're just like, okay, well, let's just get to what Paul wrote in his letters to the early church. And what can we really learn? Like, what in this passage is really relevant to us? And so there's really two main characters in this particular passage, Saul and then a guy named Ananias. And so hopefully I can make some sense of this for all of us today. But I think a couple of things are really important for me as we step into this that um, we may or may not necessarily fully understand. But Paul is a devout Jew. So Saul, I called him Paul, coming to get confused because why change your name? Well, let me just tell you this. I changed my name um, when I was in kindergarten. Um, I, I, my, my name is Ellis Eric Prince, but my mom agreed for my first name to be Ellis after my grandfather if I would be called Eric. 
Um, but when I was in kindergarten, I realized that my name, my first name was Ellis and my grandfather's name was Ellis. And so I told my kindergarten teacher to stop calling me Eric, that I wanted to be called Ellis and I broke my mom's heart. <laughs> right. And so I still have relatives that I don't see very often on my mom's side of the family that still call me Eric. And I'm like, I keep hearing it, you know, like they say, Eric, Eric, Eric. I'm like, oh yes. When I was in kindergarten, <laughs> 40 years ago, I was, I was called Eric. And so, so I can get name changes, but a lot of times when it comes to scripture passages like this, I, it's better to know Saul for Paul because he was building the church and not killing people. Um, but it's nice to have the identity change here. It's nice that Saul, who was a devout Jew, um, that was thinking he was protecting his religion and his faith um, by harming people is somebody that is now different. Um, and so in, in understanding this, there's one, there's one liberty I want to take. And I have to admit to you, because of what my family's been going through, I'm not at my oratory best. Like, I don't feel like that I'm going to give you the best words. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me. But when I look at this passage... I want to draw on the attention of the fact of who was Saul. Like, what would he have been doing? And when you ask questions about a Pharisee in the first century that was so dedicated to his faith, like, what would his daily practices have been like? Because he's on the road, like, he has gone and asked for permission because he didn't have the authority to do it on his own. He was a Pharisee, which means that he was drinking from a certain stream of thought. Like he was a highly loyal to the law, like every interpretation, I'm going to try to follow it. And he had his opinion and he wanted to impose that opinion on anybody and everybody that wanted to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. And he was, and so we would call him legalistic. We would call him fundamental. We would call him hyper whatever, because he was just all about trying to come to what it meant to follow the words that God had given to Moses and throughout the Old Testament and was trying to to impose that upon people. And so just because it was his opinion didn't mean he had the right to go kill people or arrest people or torment people or whatever. He had to go to the high priest who had the authority to go to say, you know what, I want to now go outside of my nation, outside of Israel, and I want to go to Damascus, and I want to go to a synagogue there, because I hear there are a lot of people following Jesus, and I want to go into that synagogue, and I want to arrest people or do worse. And so we had to get permission. And I think we may not understand this, but he was committing himself to probably at least a three-day journey. He was, it's not, it's, 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 it's like a five and a half hour car drive today. But if you were to walk from Jerusalem to Damascus, it's at least three days. If you did it without stopping, like for me, I don't enjoy the journey. So if I can get there in nine hours, I want to get there in eight, right? I don't want to say, well, it's nine hours. Let me do six today and three tomorrow. That's not kind of how I like to travel. I want to get there. Well, Saul, in being a devout Jew, I had to ask myself, what would he have been doing on three days journey? Because there wasn't Netflix. Like he couldn't just sit in the chariot while somebody else steered and drove it. And him just sitting in the back and got caught up on whatever Jerusalem top shows were there. Or he wasn't playing Angry Birds. Right. And so what would he have been doing for three days as a devout Jew? And it made me think that probably the only thing he could do is what? Pray and reflect on the scriptures. 
And so if he was doing that, then how does that then change the impact of this moment when he's seeing Jesus face to face? Imagine devout Jew praying to God. And in the midst of praying to God, Jesus says, you're talking to me? So when Paul here, Saul, has this Damascus Road experience, I don't believe that he was getting caught up on the high score or whatever game would have been played while he was doing this. He was trying to get better at being a Jew. He was trying to take advantage of the moments of saying, God, I'm getting ready to go to this synagogue in Damascus and I'm about ready to arrest people that are trying to follow a fraud who this guy, Jesus from Nazareth, and I'm going to arrest them and keep them. And I think he's in the middle of a conversation and then Jesus is like, let me, let me show you my face. There's actually hints of Old Testament all over this, like this, these moments of scriptural pictures of prayers that other prophets in the Old Testament had been praying where they would reflect and they actually had prayer practices, much like prayers that we, we would, we would say in our church where we pause and we reflect and whatever different names for liturgical prayers that we may have and prayers for certain seasons of the year to a devout Jew, they had disciplined prayer practices where they would take a passage of scripture and they would pray their way through it as if they were a character in that story. Now imagine him reflecting on an Old Testament passage of scripture that may have to deal with the throne room of God, where he's thinking about the image of God. And next thing you know, he's trying to to picture what the face of God would look like. And then bam, the voice and the face of Christ is what he sees. So there's so much happening in this particular passage of Scripture. But I believe that Saul, being a devout Jew, was praying on the journey. And when he was in the midst of his prayers, seeking the face of God, he saw the face of Jesus. There's also another character in this story. Ananias. Now, Ananias... In this particular passage of scripture, we don't know a whole lot about. Um, We get a quick snapshot and we can draw some conclusions about who Ananias was. But I am thankful that Ananias is in here. Um, I don't think Ananias ever thought that he would be in the Bible. It doesn't seem like a character that we would draw on. um, But yet, I am thankful that in this moment, we will never ever forget about Ananias again. But a couple of things that stood out to me, we actually put this on a slide, some things that we know about Ananias. Ananias was a believer. He obviously believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He obviously knew how to listen to the voice of Jesus. He was also prepared to obey, even if it seemed dangerous. And he went where he was sent, and he did what he was told. Now, let me just pause and let these words rest on you just for a minute. He was a believer. I think that would summarize the majority of us in this particular room. Um, thank you. I'm sorry. That voice in my ear. I'm like, yes, Lord. <laughs> That's almost as good as that one Sunday where I was speaking and somebody's phone answered. Um, I, I, Siri spoke up like somebody sat on Siri's voice and I did not understand. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's the, 
out of the mouth of phones nowadays. It used to be out of the mouth of children, now it's out of the mouth of phones. But, um, but Ananias had great faith, all right? And so let me just call out something that's happening in this passage, if what I was saying about Saul's journey is true. If as a devout Jew, I'm not saying Saul prayed for three straight days, but he obviously was praying at some point on his journey because he was a devout Jew. Now we have Ananias, who's a believer in Jesus, and most likely what is an actual part of his life? He's a praying person. He's now learned how to talk and listen for the voice of Jesus. He doesn't have a freak out moment when God finally reveals this vision to him. Now, he did in some ways, like, wait a minute, you want me to go talk to Saul? By the way, God, do you know that he's trying to kill everybody like me? That he actually is on his way here with papers to arrest people like me and all the other people in the synagogue? And so, obviously, Ananias is very comfortable talking to God. And so we have Saul, who thought he was very comfortable talking to God, and God spoke to him and revealed his face. In the story, we also have Ananias, who obviously felt very comfortable talking to God, and he actually heard God's voice. And then he gave Saul a vision of Ananias' vision, so there's visions inside of visions about people having visions, which gets really confusing. But at the end of the day, God was orchestrating Saul to meet Ananias because Ananias was going to set Saul free to do what God wanted to do like a mighty rushing wind into the world, which was to bring Jews and Gentiles together. So who did he use? The one person that didn't want any Gentiles included. So the one person on the planet that you would think that he would never want to use to do his will in the world was the one person that he was looking to redeem. And then at the same time, he took somebody that nobody knows anything about to do something in this man's life, in God's will and power, to do something now that you and I, all over the world, can come together in this room and worship God. When we have multiple continents that we represent, multiple backgrounds, multiple languages, and we are now here because the Apostle Paul said yes. And he went through a bunch of, I don't, I can't think of any better word than just persecution, pain, agony, sorrow, beatings, floggings to the, he went on multiple ship journeys. He had his first journey on a boat is in this passage of scripture when they ship him off to Tarsus where he's from, which would have been even farther north in Syria and into southern Turkey. And so he's now on this massive journey and he's all moving towards all of this. And the reason for it is because He was praying, I believe, and God spoke to him. Ananias was praying and God spoke to him. And I just want to say to us as a church, is God speaking to us? Would we even know his voice? Do we even want to hear his voice? Because if we did, there's one way that we could find out. And that's to spend time praying. That's spending time being still and knowing that he's God and that we're not. It's us saying, God, what do you want for me? Who in my life is it that you want me to be spending time with? What do you have for me? When you look at Ananias, I love how he comes up to Saul. He doesn't like come up to him like, hey, you hater. (laughs) You murderer. He calls him by his new identity, which is brother. 
he doesn't call him out by who he once was. He's calling him out based upon the new foundation that was placed underneath of him in Jesus Christ. And he's wanting people to walk up to him now as family. We need to learn to look at one another as family. We've got to get to a place, for those of us that are following after Jesus, for those of us that are walking and knowing that God has sent us to somebody, and we have got to get to the point where we don't just do the cliche church, hey brother, hey sister, but we actually mean it. It's actually who we are. And so we're going to greet one another in that and treat one another that very same way. Ananias knew that the comforting word to Saul was a family term. He wasn't called by his temple title, wasn't called by his educational background. He was called by the identity that comes from the kinship that we're supposed to have through Jesus Christ. And it didn't matter that he was a murderer and wrongfully harming people. A couple of things. And this is, this is what's making a little bit of teaching through Acts difficult. I believe in spiritual warfare. I know a lot of churches don't. Um, a lot of Christians really don't. A lot of Christians want to know what the Bible says and then wants to go live a good life and think that, well, it's not but when, when you really do want to see the kingdom of God push out a kingdom of darkness, I tell you, the enemy does not want that. And uh, Baltimore is unique. It's not just a normal city. There are spiritual forces at work in Baltimore that I think leave a lot of other cities alone. And I can't prove that. Okay, so don't argue with me later. Okay, I'm just, I'm conceding to your argumentation. All right. But when you look at the decisions that have been made in this city in its history, you look at the things that have been done between people here first. And you look at the influence that it's had there's an enemy that has been quite comfortable at this being his stronghold. There's a reason why people don't stay in Baltimore. There's a reason why there's a culture of us having a thing where there's people that are captive here that can't leave. And then those of us that have the freedom to come and go because the enemy doesn't want the church to be rooted here. And I'll tell you this, the Lord, the, the Lord as my witness, is doing everything from his throne room possible to keep my family rooted here when it would be very easy for us to leave. There is a darkness and a pushing against doing the kingdom work that is prevalent. And I'll tell you this, there was a humbling that took place in Saul's life. There was obviously a humble spirit in Ananias and God did something miraculous. And I am looking for us as a church, as brothers and sisters, to learn the humility that took place in both of the men in this passage of Scripture. 
so that we could see God do what happened in the church in Ephesus that Paul wrote about that we talked about during prayer week, where God did immeasurably more than Paul and anybody ever could have imagined because God for the first time was making everybody welcome at his table. Well, let me rephrase that. That is not true. God had been welcoming people to the table ever since sin came into the world, but the people representing that weren't doing it. Now, there is no reason or excuse, no power or principality or authority that can wage war against us doing that. It, we have the ability to now look at people in the face and say, you are my brother, you are my sister, eat with me. We can do that. And this is the beginning of all of that taking place here. There's no human boasting. Paul talks about this to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11. He's like, look, it is not about human boasting. It's not about human pride. It all is about the glory and the renown and the name of Jesus Christ. And that is the anchor and that is the center point for what is happening here in this passage of Scripture. And so let me come back. If you don't mind, go back to Ananias' slide here just for a moment. As we look at this, I just want to ask you, what about this is true of you? Because if you're not a believer, I want to just say, can we talk about that? What is keeping you from seeing Jesus of Nazareth? So I would encourage you, whether you're a believer or not, follow the example of these two men. Pray. Talk to God. Because I promise you, Jesus' face will be revealed to you at some point. Others of us, do we know Jesus' voice? And if he did speak to us, would we be prepared to obey him and do something dangerous? I mean, we would love to obey Jesus when it's safe and comfortable. Like, yes, Jesus is, pre- I, I now get to move the comma in my income. Yes, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go take a job. My comma is moving. Some of you might get two commas, and I encourage you to give back. Um, <laughs> but you get to move that, and you're like, thank you, God, for opening up this door. I will happily walk that way. But some of you might be asked by God to take a comma away. All right, Lord, are you sure? I know that voice before when it said go this direction with the comma. But I don't know if this is your voice saying go this direction. You know, that's just one simple example of the fact that God might be asking you to do something dangerous. And then, would we be one to go where we're sent and to do what we're told. You know, that's just a, a powerful testimony of Ananias. And I'm thankful that God included him in here for a few verses. Let's pray together. Father, as we prepare ourselves through song to come to the table. We are coming to the table, Father, because one, we believe that Jesus wants us to do it often. Two, Father, we're doing this because... We feel like we need the reminder of the great grace that was given to us. Father, we don't want it to become just religious practice. We want to come to this table as a holy, sacred moment, realizing that God stepped out of heaven, took on flesh and blood for us, allowed himself to be broken and poured out for us so that we, in turn, could have life. And so, Lord, we now get a chance to follow in that footstep and do that for others. And so, Lord as we respond to the Lord's table. 
as we respond in prayer, as we respond in song, Father, we just want to say, would your name be glorified? Would your name be lifted up? Father, we want it to be all about you. We don't want it to be about our pride. We don't want it to be about the things that we get credit for. We want it to be about Jesus Christ. So, Father, today we come with all kinds of things to this table. But, Father, we want to have a faith like Ananias. Father, we want to feel comfortable conversing with you like Ananias. Father, we want to have the strength and the courage to be obedient to you like Ananias. And so, Father, today, would your voice be clear? Would you continue, Father, to tell us what it is you want us to do? And would you please give us the courage and the strength to go? And so, Father, we want the discipline of a be still and no life. And we also want to know, Father, when to stand up and take courage. But, Father, may we not label people by who they once were. But, Father, would we, would we greet one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? And Father, I thank you for Barnabases and I thank you for people that stand in the gap for people that have bad reputations. So Father, we just pray in Jesus' name that you would raise up Barnabases amongst us. Lord, that there would be people that would encourage people to say, no, 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 you're not this way anymore. You are now. Father, we want that in our church. And so Father, would you let your voice speak to us. Strengthen those who are weary, Father. Give grace. Father, we want to walk humbly. We want to do justice. We want to to be a people of mercy, Lord, in a world right now that is loud and merciless. And so, Father, we come to you in Christ's name. We pray. Amen.